Dear brothers and sisters and friends, I'm coming to you via recording today because of the lack of internet at my house, and so I'm going to have to pre-record this message. Now, there's also something else that's going to be different about this message. We're looking ahead and we're thinking about what's going to happen as things slowly start to open up here in Ontario. Are we going to finally be able to see each other's faces? Are we going to finally be able to meet? Uh, how is this going to work? And of course, there's a lot of unanswered questions to date. Uh, the church has not been given green light to, to meet together, even though some other businesses are opening. But even if we do get to meet together, we see from other provinces that are a little bit ahead of us on the curve, say New Brunswick and others, that when we do meet, it's going to be restricted to sizes of about 10 or so. So what uh, I was thinking, and we were just counseled together with the ministers last week, is that we really need to start preparing for what that's going to look like. And we're going to probably need to meet uh, in small groups in homes. Uh, and we're going to, and that's not a bad thing. In fact, it's very biblically and historically, that's, that's how historical Christianity has worked for millennia in the past. There weren't church buildings. People did meet in homes with small groups that allowed them to have intimate relationships where they could support and pray for another, and hold each other accountable. So I think this could actually be a good thing. And now uh, to, to start to get us thinking in those lines, uh, for this coming midweek, we're going to have a, a small group discussion. And that small group discussion was actually going to be taking the teaching from this morning and discussing it in the small group and applying it and digging deeper and personally in your own lives and, and trying to apply these principles and see how they may make sense for you. So I hope with that motivates you to, to not just sit on the couch and, and, and watch this as some form of entertainment, but rather that you can get your pen and paper or your note-taking uh, equipment, whatever that might be, and, and to start to engage with the material and, and take it in because this is something you're going to be interacting with others about later on. But uh, I hope you want to apply this to yourself as well. And today's topic is something that is going to be, I think, uh, uh, engaging as well. We see uh, a lot of the, the word apocalyptic is thrown around. People are talking about the end times. There's a lot of angst. You know, does this, is this uh, virus, is this the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Are we, is this virus going to be used to, you know, bring in some sort of one world government and therefore uh, get us into a sort of scenario which Revelations describes? And of course, a lot of those things we don't know. But what we can do is examine for ourselves what the scripture does say so that we can recognize things when they happen. Jesus seemed to expect this. And when we look in Matthew 24, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, when he's referring to Daniel, he says in, in the abomination of desolation, he says, let him that readeth, let him understand. So Jesus expected the disciples and those who heard his words to, to actually have read and understood and recognized how Daniel's prophecy applied to the situation they were going to be in soon, which was the destruction of Jerusalem. And he also um, said further that, uh, in, that uh, when the fig tree ripens, then we know that the summer is at hand even though he himself did not know the day or the hour, you could recognize it, it coming. And that's basically what we can do. We can be familiar enough with the scripture that we can recognize when things come, that we are indeed approaching, you know, a fulfillment of this prophecy or that this is indeed a fulfillment of that prophecy. So we are not left ignorant uh, and we can be more prepared. And we want to not just look at this for, you know, perhaps the curiosity of knowing the future or what's coming next, but 
what does the scripture say we should do um, in such a situation? How can we potentially prepare for that? Because I think there's a lot of misinformation about that as well, or ideas of you know how can we prepare for this. So let's let's look together what the scripture does say, and then uh, we, we're going to look at how we can be prepared. So here is probably the chapter that's one of the most well-known in Revelations, Revelations 13, and where we talk about the beast. And many people think this is the Antichrist, but uh, let's let's look and see exactly what's, what's being referred to. There are things we don't know. Jesus himself said that uh, he did not know the day or the hour, and we don't want to fall into the trap of... of uh, of being dogmatic, of pinpointing um, exact dates, or, or thinking we know exactly what this is going to mean. There are things that we will only recognize probably in hindsight or when, when the day is here. But there are other things that can, we can know with confidence because the scripture itself explains what it is. And as we look across scripture, we can be confident that we know what the Bible says this means. So, Revelations is often considered to be difficult to understand because it uses a lot of symbolism, a lot of um, things that refer to something else. So here's here's the first chapter, first verse in this chapter is an example of that. He says, I, this is John the Revelator, in his vision, this revelation that he received when he was on the Isle of Patmos, he saw him, he, 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 in this vision, he stood upon the sand of the sea and he saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and 10 horns and on his horns, 10 crowns and upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. And the beast, which I saw was like unto a leopard. His feet were as the feet of a bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat in great authority. So this again looks very confusing. What are we talking about? What is the beast? What is the sea? What do these heads mean? What do the horns mean? What are the crowns? Oh, why is it referring to leopard, bear, lion, dragon? Okay, well, let's Let's stay with dragon for a minute. So the dragon is what gives this beast its power and authority. The seat is kind of that position of authority. So that what it's this dragon. Now, what is the dragon? Well, thankfully, we don't have to look too far to find out what this dragon was. If we just skip back to the previous uh, chapter here in chapter 12, we will see chapter 12 is talking about the dragon and um, here in verse 7 says there was a war in heaven and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought at his angels the dragon has angels hmm, and prevailed not the dragon did not was not winning and there was no place found anymore in heaven for him and the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now, that's very clear, right? We, we This isn't, I ha, don't have to look into all kinds of symbolisms and what did the, the ancient Hebrews interpret this as. The Bible, a chapter earlier, spells it out. The great dragon, that old servant called the devil and Satan. So it's quite clear that it is Satan itself who is being referred to here as the one who is giving this beast his power and his authority. So this is a satanic um, uh, um, position of power. Now, what is the sea referred to? What is the beast and why seven heads and why ten horns and why these three animals lion bear and uh, leopard so we thankfully again we're not left to our own imagination because our imagination is quite likely to be wrong 
But if we look in the scripture, Jesus himself referred to Daniel as being one who described the end times that Jesus was describing. And if we look in Daniel chapter 7, we see a lot of these very same uh, figures. And thankfully, it's spelled out. Now, you, I, I always liked, for example, the parable of the tares. I remember it being uh, given the challenge in, uh, in my English class. I had to come up with a parable and interpret it. And I didn't want to come up with my own interpretation and have the confidence in my own interpretation. So I picked the parable of um, the, the, the tares that were being sown because thankfully Jesus himself explained it. And he said, the field is the world, the tares are, you know, the children of the, you know, he spells it out and therefore I could have confidence. I wasn't just making stuff up. And we can do the same thing here as we go to Daniel chapter 7. We can let the scripture interpret itself and not be guessing. So in Daniel chapter 7, we see Daniel having a vision. And he sees four great beasts uh, coming up from the sea. And look who they are. A lion. And then the second one's a bear. And the third one is a leopard. And then the fourth beast is dreadful and terrible. And he's got, yes, look, look at this beast. It's got uh, 10 horns, okay? And one of the, these horns uh, is speaking blasphemies. Uh, he's got eyes of man. He speaks blasphemies. Hmm, okay, this is, um, and he sees that um, there's a judgment the Ancient of Days seems like God with the white snow, this like the white throne judgment. Um, and um, the beast is slain, his body is destroyed. And the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season of time. But the beast itself, the fourth beast, he ends at the great white throne judgment. <clears throat> and then we see uh, after that, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is coming with the clouds of heaven, and he's given dominion, glory, and kingdom, and all peoples, nations, and languages serve him uh, in a kingdom that will last forever. Now, Daniel is not sure how to interpret this, right? And this is why I love this passage, because someone, an angel, comes and explains it to him. Here we go. Listen. <laughs> This is going to spell it out for you. The, these great beasts, which are four, are four kings that shall rise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom, possess the kingdom forever and ever. Right? So we see there's going to be four dominions followed by Jesus' eternal kingdom. And then he says, well, I want to know more about this fourth beast that was different than the other ones. Very, very fearful. And... Um, he says, that, and, and what are these ten horns? Great, we're going to have, you know, God himself explain it. And uh, and he says that that, that, uh, the, that one horn was actually persecuting, making war with the saints and, and, and gaining and prevailing against them until God judged him and the saints were given the, the kingdom. He said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth will be different from all kingdoms and devour the whole earth and tread it down, breaking in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings that shall arise and others shall rise after them and he shall be different than the first and he shall do three, three kings. And uh, he, this is this last king, will speak great words, blasphemies, against the Most High and wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change time's laws. But the judgment shall sit and take away his dominion, consume it, destroy it to the end. So here we, we have a lot of explanation. And not only do we have Daniel chapter 7, you know from earlier in Daniel 4, you see uh, the um, Nebuchadnezzar's vision about, again, four kingdoms. And now we know who the head is, right? The head, the first kingdom is the Babylonian kingdom itself. And also in other passages, we get 
things spelt out. In fact, Greece is specifically named as uh, the second kingdom. So the, so the lion, which is the head of gold, is the Babylonian kingdom. The uh, second kingdom, with the, which is the leopard, which is the uh, uh, torso. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, the torso of silver is the Medes and Persians. And the third kingdom, oh, sorry, that was a, that was a third, is the leopard. In between, we have the bear. The second is a bear. The third is a leopard. I apologize. So the bear is that second kingdom of the Medes and Persians, which is spelt out in, in Daniel. The third is Greece. And then the fourth is quite clearly Rome. And so we see these four empires. And now let's go back and look at what we were reading together in Revelations chapter 13. Now, maybe some of these things will make sense, right? This beast that rise out of the sea, which is out of among of the people, nations, he's got this kingdom that rises above them. You see that the ten... Um, horns and ten crowns are ten rulers. And then we can see about the blasphemy that uh, one ruler, which was supplant three of them, is going to um, uh, be very much anti-God and is going to persecute the saints. And we're going to get into that here, even in Revelation. So he, he confirms the same. And he sees that uh, he's like a leopard. So the Roman Empire was very much like the Greek Empire. It built on it as it, as it superseded it and um, the same pantheon of gods and a lot of the same philosophy and science that was there. But its feet were the feet of the bear. Now the bear, the Persian Empire, you know, I, I just Googled and uh, quickly uh, before my internet went out this morning uh, that... Uh, one of the strengths, uh, the first strength mentioned of the Persian Empire was their transportation system and that they had the ability to be mobile because they put in this infrastructure of transportation and the Roman Empire certainly did that. They built this great network of roads, some of which are lasting to this day, and that allowed them to maintain this great kingdom. And his mouth is the mouth of a lion. In the mouth, what do we do with that? We communicate, and we know the Babylon, the Sumerians were one of the first ones to come up with an alphabet. Um, that uh, they the cuneiform, uh, in the clay tablets and, and established writing. And so, media is uh, so, something that uh, and, and communication was something that was used, um, even back then in Babel. And now uh, we can see to this day the strength of that. I got this from, uh, I went to University of Toronto and um, being a little more of an oddball, coming from a, a small school, I thought the college, you had to kind of pick a college to be a part of as your kind of home group. And mine was the, the Innes College because it was small and consisted of mostly uh, non-conformist people. And uh, the, the founder of that had written something that described uh, the empires starting with Babylon and, and others that, that how media was their way of, um, of communicating and the danger of nowadays with mechanized media. And, and we certainly see that in uh, the Second World War, how propaganda, the Cold War propaganda, and nowadays with the Internet... <laughs> We definitely see fake news as a way of controlling the populace. So, <clears throat> I'm not going to say anything about tweets. So we see that uh, the, this fourth beast incorporates, as, as the Roman Empire did, strengths of all the previous kingdoms. And that's why we have these animals that are mentioned. And But it is Satan himself that is providing the power and authority. As we continue, we see that one of the heads was wounded to death and that deadly wound was healed. The world wondered after the beast. 
does this mean that there is going to be some sort of assassination and resurrection kind of mimicry of Christ? Or is this that the Roman Empire seemed to have died and will resurrect? Because as we look at it, this beast is not an individual. Most people say, oh, the beast. They're talking about the Antichrist, the person who is going to stand, probably referring to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where it talks about the man of sin, the man of perdition, uh, who's going to sit in the very throne of God and speak great things against God. But if we're being careful, we can see the beast is a kingdom, a kingdom uh, that has kings. Those are the, the heads and crowns. And... <clears throat> horns and crowns, and uh, we're going to look at one particular one later, just as, as Daniel described one. So I, I think we need to distinguish between the beast as a kingdom and uh, the individual who may uh, be referred to by some as the Antichrist. So uh, there was given... Onto the beast, a great mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and powers given to him to continue 40 and two months. If you do the math, that's three and a half years. It seems to crop up a lot in prophecy, this three and a half year or time times and a half. One plus two plus a half. Um, and uh, Daniel's last week, which was cut in half, uh, where there was a betrayal halfway through the week. So... Things seem to connect around this three and a half year period. So this beast, this kingdom is, is blaspheming God and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven and is given on to this kingdom to make war with the saints to overcome them and power is given him over all kindreds, tongues and nations. Okay, so what do we see here? This, the attitude, this is very an anti-God. It's driven by Satan it specifically has an agenda to um, to make war with God's people. And uh, he has the power that is global over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. So this is a global empire. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. But in the act of worshiping him, those are not, their names are not written in the book of life. They are not saved. They have no hope for eternity. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world, very interesting theology we can look at another time, but the lamb that's slain is clearly Jesus, and if we're not written in his book of life, we're not saved. Now, John is saying, if any man have an ear, let him hear. We often think of this revelations as, okay, this is some optional stuff that's interesting for conspiracy people to interpret, but actually Jesus is saying, Listen up for all of us. And in fact, here is the point, I think, where he's uh, applying it to everyone. Okay, so uh, listen to the next verse, because this is where the application is for us. What do we do? Because we are going to be, or if it's not us, it'll be our descendants, who will be those saints, who will have some kind of global empire that will have the power to persecute us. What is God telling us to do? He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Now, <clears throat> you, as we hear, and especially you know, an, an American. I came across a book recently that I went through, you know, talking about, you know, an end time scenario. And it's written from a prepper's uh, point of view, you know, lots of um, useful things that when we lose access to the infrastructure uh, of electricity and, uh, you know, if the currency collapses, you know, let's go buy gold. This is how you can <clears throat> cure meat, whether it's jerky or, you know, canned. This is, you know, how you would you know, have to go about trading, how you would go about 
you know, sustaining yourself in some sort of out of the way place in the wilderness. But a big emphasis in this, uh, you know, narrative is, you know, and Second Amendment, you got to have guns, you got to defend yourself, you got to protect your family, you got to resist uh, the evil empire as it tries to take over your corner of the world. And that's not what we read here. That's not what God is saying. He says, if you take up the sword, you're going to be killed with a sword. If you sink to the level of of force and of fighting uh, over land uh, with the same uh, weapons of war, you become like the enemy, right? And so the patience and the faith of the saints is, you know, we are not going to try to overcome evil with evil. What did Jesus say? He says, overcome evil with good. What did Jesus say? My kingdom is not of this world, else would my servants fight. So we don't want to get sucked into, okay, let's come up with some kind of armed uh, resistance and we will fortify whatever. I mean, it may well be good to, to learn some skills uh, about, we've been kind of cut off from a lot of things and I, I'm, I'm thankful that people are learning how to cook, for example, you know, and not just getting everything from the restaurant and, and, and there's... You know, my, my wife uh, learned how to cut hair yesterday, for example. So there's a, you, you don't look too close. And there, there's a lot of good skills that we've kind of lost as we've kind of delegated everything to professionals that we don't have access to now that we're in quarantine. So it is good for us to learn some self-reliance and not to be as dependent on a system that will probably be turned against us. But. You know, I want to make very clear that the scripture is not advocating violence, right? We see that the Christians, God's people, the saints, will be given an everlasting kingdom, but it will be a kingdom, if you remember the, the statue that Daniel saw, that the, the final kingdom is the stone that's not cut by human hands, and it's the one that endures forever. So this isn't something that's manipulated, right? Just like the temple was made by, you know, and there's no work, uh, no tool lifted on the site. This is not a human thing. We don't want to be carving and manipulating. Now, here we see another beast coming out of the earth. He has two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. So this is going to be the person that we're going to correlate with with Daniel 7 because he exercised the power of that first beast. He causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, this, this system whose deadly wound was healed, or was it a person who was resurrected? I'm not going to interpret that, but he does great wonders. He does miracles. He calls fire down from heaven, a sight of people, and he deceives people on the earth by the miracles he has the power to do. And he encourages people to make this image of this beast. Oh, now we get some details. It's got a wound by a sword, and, but who resurrected. And he has the power to give life unto the image of the beast. And the image of the beast speaks and causes many that would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And here's the part that you're probably familiar with. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, whatever socioeconomical level you belong to, you need to receive a mark in your right hand or in your foreheads that no man may buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding, again, challenging us to, uh, to look into these things, account the number of the beast for the number of a man, and his number is 603 score and six. So what do we see here? You know, we see that there's somehow this very powerful 
person who's got the ability to do miracles. Uh, he institutes a system where people have to choose whether they're going to worship the beast and which somehow entails receiving a mark uh, which which connects to this beast which has something to do with 666 and the condition is, is there, there's a threat of death here but there's also this economic pressure that it's only by having this mark that you have the ability to buy or sell. It, it's not specifying, oh, it's going to be a microchip, an RFID chip. Uh, you know, there, there's lots of things that people have read into it, and, and who knows, it may be. But let, let's be clear, this is what the Bible is saying. So we don't get committed to any particular interpretation. I mean, there's lots of very interesting things that are happening. So I'm going to throw some things out there that are this is not saying that this is um, what is being referred to here, but I'm just pointing out that the time is at hand in that um, the pieces of the puzzle that would be necessary to have something like this happen are much closer today than they were 10, 20 years ago when I was young. It's much closer than it was two months ago before this quarantine came into effect. Right, so, you know, for example, uh, two months ago, we all lived in relative independence we had the freedom to of mobility we had the freedom of association we had freedom to kind of communicate and and to congregate and, and those things were taken away why because there was a virus um, that uh, we didn't have a vaccine to that could uh, strike anyone and could overwhelm the health system. And so um, out of an abundance of college, uh, caution, we gave up a lot of these freedoms. We gave up a huge hit to the economy. Many people's businesses and livelihoods and jobs uh, were lost in the process to save a few lives. I'm not uh, saying whether that was right or wrong, but look at the effects and, and how someone can take advantage of that situation. For example, if um, a vaccine is made available, but as a condition of having it, because now we're looking at, well, how, when can we finally be free to, from these restrictions? You know, it would be a huge incentive that to, they're talking about these passports, immunity passports, right? Only if you can prove that you aren't a carrier of this vaccine, will you be allowed out of your house and into a business that perhaps associates with other people? And now you can be trusted. Now there's um, you know some scientific papers where you know Bill Gates is funding some research. There's a problem in the third world where they can't tell who's been vaccinated and who hasn't. So they've developed a patch that you can put uh, on your, your hand or, and um, it, it's got these micro needles in it that dissolve and that uh, administer the vaccine, uh, but leave behind these little copper-based little, what they call quantum dots that are visible in a special light, a, a near infrared light that can, a specially modified smartphone could, could be able to see that pattern that was left behind by these microdots. And by doing that, now we can tell you got this vaccine because we can see the pattern of that vaccine. Interesting, you know, saying this is the mark, I'm just saying, here we get this uh, near visible mark that is tied to a vaccine that could be tied to your ability to buy or sell. 
you know, there, there's lots of very interesting developments that we can see we're a lot closer to this being a possible thing. I mean, the worldwide debt, uh, you know, the possible collapse of, you know, the dollar due to this debt, um, the, the printing of trillions of dollars, which will add to the stress and potential for collapse. I'm not saying that this is the end, but I'm hoping that when we see how far we've come, uh, you know, to a you know state where you know people are willing to be surveilled, uh, some and 24 hours, you know, all I I'll take an app on my phone that will do my contact tracing and see everyone that I've possibly had contact with because I want to know whether I've been infected with this virus. You know, the the amount of um, global control the globalization of control as we want to come up with a global solution to a global problem. Just, I just want you to consider that I think we are a lot closer than we were and we can see how rapidly, a matter of a few months, the situation has changed. This is probably not the end. This is probably a dress rehearsal. In many ways, uh, seeing what can be done, certainly setting a stage for. But what I hope the governments, and you often can see the, the quote saying, well, uh, I think it was Reagan era politician says, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste, right? And so while this is a genuine virus threat, uh, a lot of agendas, political agendas, are being advanced, and maybe even economic agendas are being advanced using this virus as a, a good cover. What I want to challenge the church is, are we, the church, going to allow this crisis to go to waste? And what do I mean by that? Are you, as someone who has not yet been written into the Lamb's Book of Life, going to let this crisis go to waste. Right, so as we come back to these core verse here, that we see there is a choice. What do I truly believe in which kingdom am I investing in and counting on as being my source of security, my hope? These saints in verse 10, they have patience and they have faith that the eternal kingdom promised to Daniel promised by Jesus, promised here in Revelations again, that that kingdom that can never end is coming, and it's worth enduring these three and a half years of, of terrible persecution, starvation, um, you know, where it appears that the satanic dominion has the upper hand and is um, winning. It's prevailing. We are losing according to the kingdom of this world. We're losing economically. We're losing militarily because we're not fighting. We're losing um, rights and freedoms. And we're being scattered. That's what it's going to look like. So the question is, do we have the patience and the faith that God's word is going to be true and that is what we are going to be banking on, what we're counting on, what we're going to rest on, as in the words of the sermon last week. What does the word patience mean? Because this is, this is what 
the point of revelations is it's not that you know let's figure out you know uh, you know all these symbology and what does this terrible plague mean and how could it literally come to pass and which third of the world is the one that's going to be polluted or have its water source poisoned or you know there's lots of interesting things that we can come through but but the application isn't figuring it all out and being more knowledgeable and standing back with a smirk and saying i know what's going to happen the point is knowing that these things are going to happen are you emotionally spiritually prepared talked about you know some physical preparation sure you know having the skills and the material to you know to survive independent of the of a system that's that's no longer you know that is now hostile might be a good idea but the point he, he never says go get gold bullion that's going to help you he never says go find a, a location in the wilderness and learn how to garden and he says, you got to be prepared to endure. You got to be prepared to have patience. And so that is, is the application for us. So what does patience mean? We, we look at, at the word here, uh, patience and faith. Um, the word patience is hupomone. Hupomone is cheerful or hopeful endurance constancy uh patient continuous and this uh hupomone uh the word uh endure is hupomeno which is the same word right it's, it's to stay under um and that that, that uh, we, we we're under pressure but we are going to stay you know under the the trials that we're going to have to persevere we're going to endure we're going to take patiently and we saw the, the concept of even doing so cheerfully uh, this is not an isolated call to endurance and i am not sure that this has been stressed much in western Christianity, certainly anyone who is coming to faith in underground church in China, anyone who's coming to faith in the Muslim uh, country, they understand if I choose Christ, I'm going to have to give up my family. There may be honor killings on my head. I may, I'm going to have to give up everything and be on my own. I may have to flee authority. I may be put into into camp, labor camps or killed. They understand that. But here, the, the I've been raised in a relatively protected time where when I was young, Christianity was still respected, given some sort of lip service to. My grade one teacher actually read the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, and... This was foreign. Now, we know that's not the world we live in anymore. We see uh, the climate, intellectual climate, changing. And, but are, are we prepared? Are we still like, just, okay, yeah, there's some radicals out there that, you know, but it's never going to come, it's never going to touch me. It's never going to, I'm never going to have to endure the persecution. Now, that's, that's, my generation what about our parents generation you know i'm now the old man with the, with the gray hair maybe maybe many of you don't remember because you i encourage you to speak to some of our older members because we're losing them we we lost gaber this past week and and, and uh, for those of you who, who listen to the sermon you and I've spoken to Gaber. I remember him saying that it was just understood that when you became a believer, you knew that meant uh, you're going to be subject to, to prison sentences because you weren't going to 
take up the gun and fight in wars. You were going to have the patience and faith of the saints, and you knew you were going to suffer for that. And Gaber did. You know, very quickly he was put into prison, and and, and the story was shared. You know how he was in prison during the 1956 revolution, and he had had to get an emergency appendectomy. There was no anti anti. Um, there was no painkillers. He was done. Just passed out from the pain, and then uh, as the revolution swept in, and and with a fresh wound that was still bleeding, he he ran and escaped, and his hand froze to the blood oozing from his uh, in in the time spent in in coal mines in the previous imprisonment. This was his second imprisonment. You know, four hour forefathers this was not a you know a symbolic cross it was not a you know sure you know christians you know have a cross that they uh, we sing about there was something that they understood that they needed to endure the wrath in fact that's another meaning of uh, of patience is to be long-spirited macrothumeo is the other word we see the bible using you know, where there, there's this passion against us that we need to enjoy because we see there is an actual demonically inspired and enabled system that will be against us and we need to have the fortitude, the endurance, the patience to withstand that type of attack. That's what we need to be prepared to do, to have the emotional and spiritual, uh, as Daniel, you know, purposed in his heart that he wasn't going to defile himself with the king's meat. We need a purpose in our hearts. I'm not going to take this mark in whatever format it is. I'm not going to forgo my citizenship in that heavenly enduring kingdom just to be able to, you know, feed myself in this earthly kingdom. And I want to ask you to challenge yourself. No, no. Looking at how I invest my time, you know, and, and what I focus on is, is, is that the priorities that an observer would would recognize about us is that you know which kingdom do they see us really being invested in looking at the next chapter we see more messages directed to us as the believers of what we need to do in this scenario so in revelations 14 we have a angel uh warning us in a loud voice of any man worship the beast and his image receive his mark on his forehead or his hand the same will drink of the wine of the wrath of god which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone and the smoke of the torment ascended up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image whoever received the mark of his name here is the patience of the saints here are they that keep the commandments and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, say the Spirit, they, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. You see, I don't think my generation has really had to choose. But there's coming a time where you will have to choose your loyalty. You, you can't have it both ways. And here is the patience of the saints, the, 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 the enduring, the cheerful enduring. And we hear another, see another aspect here. We need to keep the commandments of God and the faith of the Lord Jesus. We see that our labors and our works will follow us. Not that we're saved by works, but it is he that overcometh unto the end. Um, as we continue on through the passage, we see more now about God's wrath that is poured down. And specifically uh, in uh, 1617, we get more details about uh, 
this um, this beast in the in the the whore that's that's on her. And uh, as we as we talking about some more details, here's you know these words in red in the middle of it again. Words direct to us. Behold, Jesus says, "I come as a thief." Blessed is he that watcheth. That means you're vigilant, you're on guard, you're paying attention. I, you should actually be reading and understanding what God's warning us about. And they keep their garments, lest he walk naked and they see a shame. We need to be prepared because Jesus might be coming unexpectedly. We can see a lot of the, the pieces are in place. It can happen very quickly, as we've seen even with this COVID situation. And we don't want to be caught unprepared and therefore be ashamed. More uh, uh, in revelations about this patient endurance. Let's look at this church in Philadelphia. We've often had sermons about the church in Laodicea because we can relate to being rich and self-sufficient and, and lukewarm. But let's look at this church in Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he who is holy, he that is true, that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, and do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try to test them that dwell upon the earth. So this, this church in Philadelphia was one that was being tested and tried, and, and that there was some sort of um, de demonically inspired persecution that was happening. And God was promising the ultimate victory, even though right now they were in a position of apparent weakness. God was prom promising the ultimate triumph. Behold, I come quickly, and hold thou fast which thou hast. Hold, hold, hold on to what you have. Let no man, that no man take thy crown. You have something precious. You have, you have a position of authority within the coming kingdom don't let don't trade it for a bowl of pottage don't trade it for something that is going you're going to enjoy for a fleeting moment in a kingdom that will soon be gone even though it appears very threatening at the moment jesus him that overcometh overcometh what does that that word mean let's look at the, the greek he that over cometh is talking about nikau to subdue to conquer to overcome to prevail to get the victory he that overcometh will i make a pillar in the temple of my god he shall no more grow up i will write upon him the name of my god and the name of the city of my god which is the new jerusalem which cometh down out of heaven from my god and i'll write upon him my new name not the name of blasphemies the name that jesus will give you he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith of the churches. This whole idea of patient endurance, it's not just in Revelations, right? Hebrews chapter 12 is a, dedicates a whole chapter about that, beginning right from verse 1. It says, we're encompassed by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so eagerly beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before. This is a marathon. This is something that... We've got to keep on going and endure the weakness, the uh, tiredness. You've got to set aside everything that's slowing you down. You can't afford it, right? Jesus has gone before us. He's the author and finisher. And that's what we're looking at, uh, at as our goal. He's endured the cross. We see what he went through lest we become wearied and faint in your minds. Don't compare yourself with your peers and you know it's not fair that i have to go through this and look at uh, so and so or look at you know people at this time you know look at a generation ago no we have not resisted the blood striving against sin we jesus is our model and he's the one that we need to end the whole rest of the chapter continues with that 
uh, theme and this whole theme of, of enduring is one that uh, in even the athletics first Corinthians 9 Paul says something very similar he says that know ye not that they which run and race run all but one receive the prize run they may be attained and every man that striveth is temperate we had uh, brother Brian challenge us multiple times about self-control and that's a fruit of the spirit and that's part of this running the race you've got to be disciplined they do it to now those in this world who pursue an athletic goal they do it to obtain a corrupt goal but you we have this enduring kingdom this incorrupt this crown let no man take your incorruptible crown so therefore i run not as uncertainly is it is it clear do i waffle is uh, someone observing me seeing you know well which kingdom is he investing in today what's 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 his heart really at no i fight not as one that beats the air i'm not shadow boxing i want to land my punches i want to make my impact for the heavenly kingdom and i need to keep my body under subjection lest after preaching to others i myself should be a castaway speaking of patience and endurance look at this passage here in james chapter 5 be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waiteth. We're talking now the example of farmers. We're talking about um, athletics now. It's the example of farming. The husband waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts. This is this is this is about emotional endurance. We're going through quarantine, and and there's all these mental health warnings going on. The, that you know, it's it might be easy, and there's all these comparisons. Day one versus day fifty of quarantine. It, your emotional state needs to be stable. Why? Because it's not resting on a, what am I going to do today that makes me feel good. I'm established on the coming of Lord that draws nigh. I'm established on on Jesus who reigns on high, who's going to bring me to be with Him. I, I'm not easily shaken, so I'm I'm willing to pin my hopes on that and patiently wait for it. Just like the person who plants the seed waits for weeks and months until that that's ready for harvest. And and as a consequence, you know we we don't hold grudges. We know who the real judge is. Um, we take, again, Jesus as an example of suffering, affliction, and patience. We count them happy, which endure. Here's the word endure. You've heard the patience of Job. Great example. Uh, this, and have seen the end. At the end, it was there was this blessing that was double what he had in the beginning, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy, but of a ball. And so endure. Let's take a quick look at that word endure right and it's the very same word that we saw for patience hoopin it mene was patience hoopinol hoopominol is endurance because it's about staying under remaining under that trials under that burden and having the fortitude to persevere so my dear friend and brother and sister We've been going through a minor trial here with the quarantine. I mean, for some of us, it's even been a blessing, but there have been things that are challenging. Let's not waste this crisis, brother and sister. Allow this to, to get you focused on which kingdom you're going to be investing in and that you have established, you've purposed in your heart um, that this is where you're going to not let go you're going to look to jesus you're willing to suffer even the loss of all things because we know we can quickly lose a lot of the things that the, that we've accumulated so people have lost you know tons of money in the stock markets businesses things they invest a lifetime in in in, in building up have been lost in a short amount of time but but that's not the end this kingdom is not where it's at even if you kept it past COVID, you couldn't keep it for eternity, but there's things you can't keep. Brother and sister, let's keep our eyes on that prize and on Jesus. And my dear friend outside of Christ, who, who is not, whose name is not written in Lamb's Book of Life, don't let this crisis be wasted for you either. Please, I beg you, 
get your name read because the time is coming soon. That we see these pieces, and I've only pointed to a few, and there, there's so many. I'm sure you're aware of the new, new reality that has been changed in how we're progressing towards this um, surveillance state, towards a financial system, and. We can see things being tested. We nearly got the digital dollar in through the U.S. Senate, but then it was backed out. So, you know, this is a testing time, but the pieces are being put into place and it can quickly happen. And you don't know if your life will be lost before that even happens. I beg you, do not wait. Please. The time is at hand. Today, as we heard last week, today, while it's called today, harden not your hearts, enter into the rest, into the kingdom that will not be shaken and that will endure forever.